This week, I eschew the soil and turn to pawn, lechews upon. Did that make me sound a bit like James Bond? Maybe I've been watching too many trailers. It's On The Ledge, the podcast about houseplants. I'm Jane Perrone, your host, and this week I am joined by Arvin Boudia from Lechuza to talk about their mineral-based substrate, Pon. What is it? What's it made of? Do you need to rinse it? Where do you get it? All your questions will be answered in this episode. Plus, I answer a question about a succulent that's harbouring a surprise. Thanks to all of you who have already responded to my request for your thoughts about what's changed for you in the world of houseplants since February 2017. I've had happy stories, sad stories, funny stories, and you're going to hear them in episode 200, which will be going out on October the 22nd. There is still time to get your thoughts to me. I'd love to have them in audio form. Just record a voice memo and send it to ontheledgepodcast.gmail.com. But if not, I can read it out for you. Just drop me some words to the same address. Maximum a minute or two would be great. It's going to make such a fun episode. I'm really looking forward to it. So do share your thoughts now. Just a reminder also that after that 200th episode, the first 50 episodes of On The Ledge will be going Patreon only. So if you're not a Patreon of The Legend or the Superfan level, you won't be able to hear those first 50 shows on free to listen anymore. But you will be able to sign up to Patreon to hear them. And there'll still be 150 free episodes to hear. Thank you to Vivbert and Rose from Reno, both in the US, who left lovely, lovely, lovely reviews for On The Ledge. And to Tessa and Lucy, who both became legends this week, joining Patreon and thus securing their right to listen to the first 50 episodes of the show. All the details for Patreon are in the show notes, as is info on how to make a one-off donation as well. So if I've saved a houseplant or two of yours from certain death, then why not say thank you with a small donation? How else can you say thank you? Well, leaving a review is a great thing to do. Telling friends about the show, bigging on the ledge up on Twitter or Instagram. All of those things are highly valuable and much appreciated. So many growers these days are choosing not to grow their plants in the traditional medium that's been used for, well, since forever. Something soil-based, something organic. They're turning instead to mineral-based substrates, specifically PON. Lots and lots of people are using this stuff successfully and some swear by it. But what is it? How does it work? How can you transfer your plants to it? I decided to go to the source to get information about PON from somebody at the firm that has been marketing this stuff for years. That is, of course, Lechuza. 
So we're going to be hearing from Arvind Boudia in this episode, who is sales director at La Chusa in the UK, to get it straight from the horse's mouth, as it were. Let's just start with the very basics. For me, more than anything else, as a complete um, ignoramus about this stuff, what's actually in Pond? What's it made of? Fantastic question. So let's start with the ingredients list. So... Lechuza pond, which is our most popular substrate, consists of four key ingredients. So the first is zeolite, the second is BIMS, third is lava, and then the last ingredient which we add in is the fully coated premium fertilizer. So what the zeolites are introduced into the substrate for is to balance and stabilize the pH value of the rooting structure. So it has high water and nutrient storage, It binds heavy metals and pollutants, and it also has a fungus inhibiting effect. So that's the main properties of zeolite in our substrate. BIMS, on the other hand, is literally designed for maximum air pore volume um, and uh, very high storage capacity. So the the air pockets or the pores in the BIMS um, will naturally just attract a larger amount of water and hold a larger amount of water. And then lava, I'm pretty sure a lot of people out there listening probably know what lava is. And lava is basically uh, a mineral stone, which is obviously designed to sustainably release micronutrients um, back to the rooting system. So those are the, the those are the kind of key differences in, in the materials that are put together for this mineral substrate. And how do we use this stuff? I imagine it's quite different from planting into soil, What's the basics of getting started with pond? The first way that we would generally use the products is a 25%. I would call it the 25% Lechuza use rule. So this is where you would have a drainage barrier inside your planter. Um, You'd probably fill one third or one quarter of the base with Lechuza pond. This will be your water reservoir and your drainage level. Your root ball or the plant root ball is then placed directly on top and then you fill around the edge of the pot with compost or potting soil so that's the first use the second way that lechuza can be used is the 50 percent rule so this is to use lechuza in the drainage barrier level and to also fill the remaining void around the sides of the planter around the root ball and then on top to cover all soil being exposed to the environment. So that's the second one. And then a third version, which is becoming quite popular now, is a complete replant into 100% Lechuza pond. So this method is generally the best method to enhance plant, plant life and to prevent any organic matter from contaminating the plant or planter. So in this step, you would generally break down the root ball um, so you'd, you'd massage away, you'd rinse away all the organic compost and soils that are tethered to the roots. You would then take this washed root ball and root structure and place that directly into the lechuza pond. It's almost similar to hydroponics, but because it's a capillary action that's occurring with the rooting structure and lechuza pond, it's the ideal way to prevent any excess soil around the roots and having any uh, fungus fly gnats um, laying any eggs in the organic compound inside the base. I'm so used to growing in soil. What would you say to me as somebody who's a soil grower about switching over? Where would you recommend that I start? So I would say 
generally start off small. Test your, your plants in Lechuza Pond first. Generally, most plants will adopt Lechuza Pond quite well. Um, but in terms of changing over from soil directly, you've got many benefits. Um, firstly, if you're an allergy sufferer, um, soil is going to have mold, it's going to have fungus, it's going to have live uh, microorganisms which are always breeding. So if you suffer from allergies in any aspect, soil indoors is not ideal for you. Where in this case, you can replace it with an inorganic compound like Lechuza Pond and you eradicate all of those allergy issues immediately and those pest issues go out the window as well. Um, so that, that's the kind of first benefit of using Lechuza Pond. Secondly, is the stable pH level of Lechuza Pond. With soils, certain soils can increase or decrease in pH levels depending on obviously the type of plant, the type of fertilizer you're adding into it. Uh, Lechuza Pond will stabilize itself and always maintain a rough level of 7.1 just to ensure that the plant is at its optimum level of development. And I think there's a, there's a couple of the other issues as well in terms of watering, forgetting to water. Generally, soil will dry out at the top. Most people generally will start seeing that as an indicator that the plant needs water. So not realizing that soil holds about 75% of its water below that first layer, most people overwater their plants. With Lechuza Pond, you eradicate this problem. Because of the capillary action, the entire sub-level to the top is always uh, has enough water and it will always draw water from the bottom up into the, into the rooting structure. When I put out that I was doing this interview and asked for questions from pond newbies and also experienced pond users, the main question that I got back is, why can't I get hold of any pond right now? So there's lots of people desperate to get hold of your product. I'm guessing this is an indication of what's happened over the pandemic in terms of the rise of houseplants. Um, is there... Has it been a huge surge of interest for your business? Well, most certainly. We've definitely seen during the pandemic that a lot of people have spent a lot more time at home during which they've obviously had greened their interior or they've had some new hobbying in their spare time. Um, so with many looking at new and improved solutions and taking care of, of repotting their plants, Lechuza Pond and the other substrates that we do did see a large increase in sales across the UK and internationally as well. Um, in, in terms of your questions with the problems uh, that were that were at the time of the pandemic have now been resolved. So we are currently restocked. We've got enough pond in all of the substrates on the shelf in the UK to satisfy all incoming orders for at least the next six to eight months. So we've got plenty in stock. Um, but yeah, we, we did see a huge surge in indoor planting and like now we've kind of gauged and understood what the UK market is now receptive to. We will aim to keep those kind of levels maintained throughout the year. Have you come across any unusual ways that people are using PON or unexpected things that people are doing that you, you just hadn't thought of at your end? Um, we're seeing PON being used in a lot of hydroponic systems. Um, so it's not something that we would... 100% recommend it's still something that we're looking into at the moment in terms of usage um, but a lot of a lot of the growers and a lot of the bloggers that are using our products have reported back to us that they've actually quite successful um, with hydroponics and Lechuza Pond. Um, we're also hearing back from the rare and unusual growers 
Um, they've reported back to us to say that Lechuza Pond is amazing for growing their rare cuttings and actually rehab plants which have been affected by root rot or fertilizer burn from placing them in soil or placing them in liquor. Um, so that's that's something quite interesting for us. More POM chat to come, but now it's time for question of the week. And it comes from Frank, who has noticed something strange happening to a succulent. Helpfully, Frank has sent a picture, but they're not sure what succulent this is. It looks to me like some kind of Gasteria alocross. There are loads of different hybrids out there, and I think this is one of those. I wouldn't be confident to say which one, but it doesn't matter because the advice is the same. The plant has put up a flower spike, but coming up along some of the points on that flower spike are some little baby plants or as frank puts it a tentacle like thing sprouted out and what looks like a couple of baby plants have started to grow like a spider plant does and frank wants to know what to do with these little tiny plants that have grown along that flowering stem now this gives me a chance to use one of my favorite words in the botanical lexicon and that is vivipary. I don't really know how to pronounce it. Vivipary? Vivipary? It's a word I've read a lot but not said a lot. So what is vivipary or vivip, however you say it? What is it? It happens when seeds germinate while they are still attached to the parent plant in the form of the fruit or the seed head. You may have seen on social media a picture of a strawberry where the little seeds on the outside of the plant are all sprouting. That's a great example of vivipary. People get very freaked out by it, but but it's not that uncommon in the world of plants. So that's vivipary, but what we have here with Frank's succulent is called false vivipary. (laughs) And this is where a flowering stem gets all confused and starts producing pups rather than flowers. And this phenomenon is, is seen in succulents, particularly things like agaves and some of the gasterias and aloes do sometimes do this. The other group of houseplants that you'll see this happening with is the carnivorous plants. Sometimes a Venus flytrap will put up a flowering stalk and will end up growing plantlets at the top of that rather than flowers. Why does it happen? Well, it's the plant getting a little bit confused. If you can imagine that that flower stem is basically a variation on the theme of a leaf, if I can put it as basically as that, sometimes the cell information just gets a bit confused and the plant decides to put out a plantlet rather than a flower. So the plant is effectively switching from sexual reproduction through producing flowers that are pollinated and then produce seed to vegetative reproduction where it's putting out a plantlet that can then drop down to the ground, root and make a new plant. And That means that the plantlet is a clone of the parent plant. Genetically, it's completely identical as opposed to the seed that would be pollinated, as opposed to sexual reproduction, where the seed produced by the flowers of the plant would be 
genetically different from that parent. I mean, does that make any difference to you? Not really, other than the fact that it kind of speeds up the process of propagating that plant because you can just take, because you can snip off that baby plant once it's reached a reasonable size and it should root in some gritty compost quite easily. Yes, you will get less plants than if you saved a seed pod and sowed those seeds, but it certainly does make things work quicker. So yeah, Frank can cut off that flower stem at any stage. These plants really want to survive, so they will root quite easily. And I don't know about you, but I do love a plant freebie. I hope that helps, Frank. And if you've got a question for On The Ledge, do drop a line to me. I will be happy to help if I possibly can. If you can provide loads of information and pictures about your problem, that really helps me to answer your question. Just drop a line to ontheledgepodcast at gmail.com. Let's return to our chat about Lechuza Pond. And I wanted to find out whether you have to buy the pots from the chooser or whether you can just buy the pond and use your own pots. Yeah, of course you can. So pond can be used in a variety of vessels. So whether you have a sealed bottom planter or an, an open drainage planter, the chooser pond is a universal alternative to potting soil. This being said, we, we have amazing amount of plant growers who prefer to actually use their own clear plastic sealed containers. And what I mean by this is they, they can actually see from the outside of the, of the planter how their rooting structure is, how the health of the roots are. Is there anything in particular in terms of fungus or root health or root rot which is occurring? And they can monitor and maintain this from, from using a clear plastic container. But however, they do work hand in hand with our Lechuza self-watering planters. But yeah, I would say that everyone is free to, to use the choose upon in any way that they deem fit in terms of sealed units or open drainage units. So let's talk about specifics here of different plants that you can grow in pond. Is there anything that you really can't grow in pond that really just won't be happy that you wouldn't recommend trying to convert to a pond system? I would say it's a free for all. Each plant will have its own dependent factors such as the type, the variety of plant, location, humidity, watering requirements, temperature, and the actual requirements for the substrate itself. So all of these factors kind of need to be taken on board in terms of when you're transferring any type of plant, whether it's roses, hoyas, succulents, orchids, each plant will have its own unique kind of functions that you need to kind of be looking out for. Um, so we kind of categorize them into two areas. So the first ones, um, the heavy wetting plants, they will obviously require wetter conditions, damper conditions. Um, and generally in that case is we would have a kind of reduced dry phase. So you would water. Once that water kind of is taken in by the plant, you'd have a one to five days kind of break where you wouldn't want to water. Um, and then there's the second stage, which is where some plants will require drier conditions or drier periods where they're not being watered. So we generally kind of educate all of our customers to observe a type of dry phase, whether it's a slightly reduced one or a very long one. In terms of a full dry cycle, I would recommend a standard drying phase of anywhere between three and 14 days on a normal, normal type planter, which requires slightly drier periods of watering. 
And generally, the reason being is that it will develop the, a strong routing system. And as the roots then span out to search for water, the, the health of the plant increases because it's now trying to span out, trying to gauge a larger area of um, the planter, which they probably didn't venture into before. One of the other questions that really came up so often when I asked listeners about pond is rinsing. So the question of does pond need to be rinsed before it's used? I've got people who want to rinse a whole bag in one go, people who don't want to rinse it, people who want to rinse a little bit at a time. Give me the lowdown on rinsing. Generally, you don't need to rinse to choose a pond. You can use it straight from the bag as it arrives to you. We have had some growers who have come back to us and say that their plants actually thrive better once it's been rinsed and or flushed, as they would call it. But what they're trying to do here is basically just wash away the small grit and sediment um, inside the bag, where obviously the bag has rustled over time. So as the particles kind of rub together, you get smaller grains of sand or sediment inside the bag or inside the mixture. So they're just basically washing away the smaller grit and sediment leaving the larger mineral stones behind. Well, that sounds like a lot of work saved. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about feeding. You said that the pond comes with an inbuilt fertiliser. How long does that last? And when do we need to sort of think about starting to feed plants that are in pond? Okay, so generally with the Lechuza pond, you do get a hard capsulated fertiliser feed added in. And what I mean by that is um, it's a slow release formula in a solid pellet form. Um, You'd actually be able to visually see these as yellow pellets inside the mixture. So these pellets here or fertilizer beads that we have can last anywhere between six to eight months inside the the mixture that you have right now. So straight away, as you plant up using the Lechuza pond from the bag, you have feed already in place for you and your plant for the next six to eight months. Obviously, as time elapses and you get to the six to eight month mark, you will see these beads from the surface diminish. Um, You have then two options. You can add liquid fertilizer feed, which you can buy from any local garden center, Amazon, eBay, etc. And that can be poured directly into the pond mixture and then the pond will, will grab onto the fertilizer feed, release it when it needs to. Or you can buy our own fertilizer, which is the Lechuza leaf, for leafing type plants or Lechuza flower, which is for flowering type plants. And these would then give you another period of six to eight months of feed in a slow release formula. Where do people go wrong with pond? I I imagine it's the usual thing of like not really reading the instructions properly or not Uh really taking in the information. Where do people go wrong and what can they do to get things back on track? Um, So I would say... 99% of the problems is the actual planting up stage. So I would say follow the instructions as we've provided them, follow the steps that we have in place for that specific type of plant or the type of planting method and follow the dry phase that we offer as well. What most end users tend to do is they would continue to water their plants and what this entail does is it it makes the roots of the plant very, uh, I would say very large and swollen Um, and what this then does it when you reduce the watering amount to that type of plant it will start to fade it will start to brown the leaves will start to brown and eventually it will slowly start to die out because you've now overwatered instead of regulating that dry phase for that plant to strengthen its roots 
Um, so I would say that's generally the first um, and most common problem that occurs. Um, and then secondly is, I would say adding too much fertilizer in. Um, so once obviously the period is gone, they will then start to add their own liquid feeds in. We would always say gauge and measure the size of the planter and the amount of feed that you're putting into your plant. Um, if it's a small planter, you'd probably only need two to three drops from a pipette diluted down into water to add to your feed. You wouldn't need anywhere between 10 or 15 mils. That's, that is written on the back of the instruction label. So um, you kind of have to gauge it and understand not to over-fertilize because you will get fertilizer burn. But I would say the dry phase is always very important to follow. Now, there's no secret about what's in your pond substrate. Obviously, people, as I said before, houseplant growers are experimenting all the time. And, and some people have looked at your list of ingredients and said, I can do that at home myself and made their own DIY mixes, which I guess isn't probably not that much of a surprise to you. Are there potential pitfalls with going? I mean, I'm sure you're going to say, of course, you're going to say, you know, buy our product. But, um, <laughs> is that something you're kind of aware of, worried about trying to combat? Well, to be fair, we're not going to really combat it because all of the key ingredients in our product can be individually bought or like I said, they can be individually put together as well. But I would say it's the parts per matter, which is unique to us. I'm not going to release that information because then everybody will know what we do. But the parts per matter is what makes our choose upon the ideal growing ratio. It's been tried. It's been tested, scientifically proven. And then we've got our own fertilizer, which is added in as well. So um, many have tried, many have succeeded in their in their in their mixtures. But I would always say just buy original. It is a little bit pricier than using compost or soils, etc. But Lechuza Pond is a lifetime product for you. It can be washed, it can be reused, um, and it can be refertilized as well. So. And let's just say in a year's time, that pond's looking weak and tired. You can reinvigorate it by just washing it in some warm water, adding some new solid fertilizer back into it or reintroducing it back in, mix it back up and you can reuse that. And that life cycle just keeps going and going. You don't then need to go out and keep on buying Lechuza Pond consistently. And that's the reason why we want to aim to push Lechuza Pond as an alternative to soil. With soil, you're continuously buying more, you're buying more, and you'll obviously keep on adding the fertilizers. It all kind of adds up in the long run. Whereas Lechuza Pond, you buy one bag, you're good with that one bag for a very, very long time. Now, that is where you might have me in terms of converting to Pond. That idea that you can just buy the amount you need for your plants, transition them, and then you can just keep using it over and over again. I love the fact that that's sustainable. Um, that is the, probably the most appealing feature of it for me. So uh, it's an, really interesting to hear that. And I guess the difference is it's it's inorganic, so it's not breaking down the same way that my compost will be breaking down over time and ending up on the compost heap. It can just that that's that's a really good point that I hadn't thought of um you know as I say I'm an old dinosaur I don't know if I'm going to ever fully switch away from soil but it's really interesting to hear what you're doing Arvin and um, thank you very much for joining me today thank you very much Jane Thanks so much to Arvin and do check out the show notes for links to Lachusa and all their info. And I would love 
to hear from you on this subject. Obviously, we've heard from Lechuza, who are the makers of One Kind of Pond, but I know a lot of you are doing your own thing, creating your own mixes. Maybe Pond has worked brilliantly for you. Maybe it's been an absolute disaster. (laughs) I'm going to be hearing from one listener who has found great success with expanded clay pebbles, aka Lekka or Laker in an upcoming episode so i'd also like to have your thoughts for that episode do feedback because while it's great to hear from lechuza i know that you guys also have a lot of expertise to offer so if you've got a follow-up question shoot it over to me that's all for this week's show i'll be back next friday and don't forget to send me your thoughts about what's changed since february 2017 for that 200th episode have a great planty week. Be good. And if you can't be good, be careful. And if you can't be careful, don't get caught. you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by the Joy Drops The Road We Used to Travel When We Were Young by Komiku and Sundown by Josh Woodward All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit the show notes for details brother's friends have been camped out at our place for two days straight. Three. It's because of the Xfinity 10G network. Internet that can handle a house full of screens at once with like basically no interruptions. And it's only getting faster. When I was their age, internet like this was a pipe dream. You sound like my grandpa. Please go home. Introducing the next generation 10G network only from Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas.